0: Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. All right, Growing Up Fire, episode 10 uh, with Bruce Turnbull. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I am so excited, Bruce, I can't tell you. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to get you in here. You're one of the first names I thought of when we started to do this stuff which probably makes you a little nervous, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 10, is a cool landmark too. We're, we're getting it done and uh, getting out there. You and I got so much to talk about. I know this won't be our only one. There'll be others to follow. You and I just have too many stories and, and too many miles behind us to stick to one. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. You're making me blush already, some (laughs) of those kind kind words. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't remember you blushing too much over the years, so it's all good. You know, you're an iconic figure in the Lester Slave Regional Fire Service. You've been doing this a long time. How long, exactly? This marks uh,
1: 25 years.
0: 25 years, yeah. Yeah. Out at the Widewater Fire Hall, you've been...
1: Yeah, we started out there. When I joined, it was called the Widewater Fire Department, Seltzer Fire Department. But then after regionalization, about five or ten years later, we became known as Hall 2. Right. So
0: the second hall in our in our district. And, well, you had a few names because then later on after the fire, you became the Cambridge Fire Hall. We did. <laughs> yeah, we might talk about so, this later. We lost. It, I, let's talk about it right now. Let's get after it because this is a fun story. Oh, you know, okay. the, the Slave Lake fire is not a fun story, but what happened after? So L- Little would I have known when I started
1: this that this would be a story I'd be able to tell here. <laughs> so uh, so basically, after the the 2011 wildfire ravaged our, our region, we were um, you know busy fighting fires all over the region. And then at some point, we had lost a lot of equipment in town, especially hose and whatnot. We had to abandon a lot of the hose, get our trucks out, get our crew out. So we were tasked about probably 2 in the morning to go to Hull 2 Widewater to uh, gather up some more equipment, especially hose. You can imagine our surprise. We got out you know, to our fire hall, which is about 15 kilometers away, to find it fully engulfed in flames. So it was just one of the other many structures lost that night to the fire. Now, it wasn't completely gone when we got there. We were able to kick open the front door. But remember, we had two pickups. And so we honestly tried. We thought, well, if we hooked up a hose to the hydrant nearby, there might be enough hydrant pressure to even just fight it just with water dribbling out. But there was no hydrant pressure. So we, thought, ah. so we bailed out. Much equipment as we could kind of watch, sadly, as our, as our fire hall burnt down. But as it turned out, that was a good thing because, well, I wouldn't say good thing.
0: It is what it is. Depends who's listening it, to this yeah, podcast. No. You know, what is a good thing. It, <laughs> it, it, was. it was. You know, it turned out okay. There's there a lot of good came from a lot of bad. And I think that's the way you got to look at it, right? You can't just look at all the sad things. You got a, a big, nice new fire hall. You got some new equipment in there. And you got to name it something cool.
1: We did. Later on that summer, when Prince William and Kate came for their visit through here on their honeymoon, they stopped and, and talked to us first responders. And as we were talking to them, we we asked if they would be have any issue of us naming our new fire hall in the honor of their visit and so it's cambridge hall you know duke of cambridge there you uh, go
0: (laughs) yeah that that was so cool i remember you kind of mentioning it and and i thought i don't even know how that works but you actually asked them while they were there we asked
1: him in line yeah Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) so another funny story
1: about that and again who would have thought meeting royalty here in little old slave lake alberta but as we stood in line as the prince and then kate came up to meet us you know they they said just a couple little things but what kate was asking she was kind of asking each person kind of the same question about what was your role that night okay so she asked that so the firefighter standing beside me he was kind of a nervous type and I could hear him because as she was getting closer and closer he was kind of rehearsing what he was going to say to her yeah and so he was kind of saying something anyway so when she got to him she asked him a different question and he was so tongue-tied <laughs> his answer was she said something like uh, I can't remember so you know how long have you been anyway his answer was uh, <laughs> and she kind of looked at him and she thought okay uh I guess they hire
0: everybody here (laughs) and then
1: next and then so she went by and then he looked at me after he goes I knew the answer yeah it was so funny uh,
0: I guess people must get tongue-tied right and I know we've talked about this before but everyone out there hasn't heard it and and so the Royals to me was the biggest pain in the butt that I could think of at the time right we were still kind of Dealing with the fire, it was still in that first two weeks, and and I get this phone call that says, "Hey, you know, we're going to have the Royals here, and you guys get me uh, three clean firefighters and three dirty yeah. firefighters and yeah. three firefighters that lost their house." And you can imagine getting that order in the morning, and and it just kind of, I guess, it pissed me off, right? Yeah. And so I was treating the whole thing just like a nightmare until my dad. I was talking to him on the phone and my dad said, you're getting to meet the Royals. Like only 10,000 people in the whole world get to meet the Royals. Like, why don't you get over yourself and shut up and just go and... (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's how dads talk to (laughs) their kids. And, And so I was all butthurt, but it really did turn out good to meet them. And it's another whole story for another whole day, but the whole process of meeting them and getting cleared and all of that stuff. And they were good. You're right though. In
1: a normal time, that would have been the highlight of your life meeting the royals but and i think it was everybody was affected somewhat the same way as you i remember out there a lot of our firefighters had lost their homes yeah fire as well that's right. and so this became an issue okay we, we're going to meet the royals they have to have a suit a fire gear or something on but their official fire uniforms had been burnt up in their houses so we had no uniforms so we're trying to piece together pants from this guy and tie from this guy just to make them look somewhat presentable to meet the royals and
0: while oh, no, they're no dealing with they, their houses burnt down, oh, while they're dealing with all the, yeah. right? And that and that was a part, I think, that pissed me off was to get asked to to get these people together that are, like, I'm surprised everybody's getting through one day after the other with all the things that are going on with their life, yeah. right? But it, but it did. It did turn out to be a good day. It, it turned out to be a good event. And I'm super thankful that they came. But it was, yeah, it was tough to get over in your head that whole you know, why are they coming now? And it just happened to be on a swing where they were going through Canada. And, and we were lucky they stopped by. I think it gave the whole town a boost that day. Yeah. We got to have our big ladder truck up with the big flag and everybody waving. And there was a lot of cool stuff going on that day. So, yeah, so Cambridge Hall. So that's neat. And I get, you know, I used to get asked that question all the time when I was the regional chief. Just, you know, well, why is it called Cambridge Hall? And so, you know, you've had to tell that story a thousand times. I've had to tell that story a <laughs> thousand <laughs> yes. times. So it's good. But you know, another story that came out of that, the night our
1: fire hall burnt, and again, it was one of those just interesting things that not many people know about, but it's kind of interesting to share now. So the firefighters, the volunteers that showed up that morning or the day before, whenever it was, typically we park our vehicles outside the fire hall. And there they sat for, you know, forever, how many hours? When we got there that night and found the fire hall on fire, some of the, the personal vehicles were, you know, in, in danger of burning up. Right. So some of the guys were able to move their vehicles back, but there was one car that belonged to a female firefighter, Melissa. So her car was locked. We couldn't budget. We couldn't move it. We were trying to push it manually, but already the heat was so much, her her bumper was starting to melt. Her grill was melting. And uh, we had to do something. And then we're trying to get a hose rigged up to tie a hose onto an axle to pull it back. And about that time, one of the other firefighters, Sean Kearney, he said, you know, I remember when we came and geared up this morning with our bunker gear, I think I saw Melissa put the keys to her car in her shoe in her locker. And her (laughs) locker was inside the fire hall. We're all looking, you know, there's big flames, you know, between. But her locker was fairly close to the door. And Sean, something you said, is it worth a chance at that point, we are just exhausted. we have been through so much. We said, you know what? Go for it. Yeah. So we, so he kind of went there and there were big flames there, but he kind of reached in. He was able to only grab one shoe out of her locker before the building was gone. So as he brought it out, we're kind of all holding our breath, looking there. Sure enough, in that shoe was her keys to her car. And so we jumped in, moved her car back 20 feet out of harm's way, and there we go. So we're kind of, okay, that was one thing. But then we didn't know at the time, but Melissa's house and shop, everything that she owned out there already had burnt. So the only thing she had left in the world was what she had in her car.
0: One, one so, shoe in the car.
1: One, one shoe. <laughs> one shoe. <laughs> anyway, so it's kind of a, yeah. this is one of those funny stories eh? Comes
0: it, up. It's crazy. You know, I think back to Michelle Malboff. So during the fire, uh, the early days of the fire, people were bringing us all kinds of stuff. And she phoned me up and she's like, what do you guys need? And I was like, you know, it was, it was a forest fire. We'd lost a few houses that first night in Mitsu. But no one was thinking about what was coming next, right? We're going to get through this thing and... And she goes, you know, my husband's company wants to help out, so I'm going to get you guys Gatorade in a cooler and ice. And and I was like, yeah, like what, whatever you decide will be great. You know, it's just it that kind of lady. You just knew that it would be great. And so she brings us down coolers, not a cooler, coolers of Gatorade, water filled with ice and box, boxes of socks, yeah. band-aids, all, all this crazy stuff, right? And I was just like, why would people bring this to us? Like we could go to our houses and get band-aids and socks and right. And so it was all this good stuff and people were bringing us crockpots uh, crock pots full of stew and chili. And it was probably in my career, the greatest outpouring of public support that I'd ever seen. And so, you know, it was awesome because here we are, let's fast forward seven days later, it hits town and wide water and everything's burning. Every single sock was taken. Every single Band-Aid was used. Every drop of Gatorade and water was used. And some of those crockpots that people had brought down were the only thing that those people owned besides their vehicles, right? And so I was getting these phone calls. Hey, can I get my crockpot back? I know it sounds silly, but, you know, <laughs> that's the only thing that I own. And so, you know, it, it kind of all links back to the craziness of those times and those days. So we'll come back to the Slave Lake fire because there's tons of good stories there. But early days of firefighting, so you and I have known each other while you were a teacher at the school when I was going to school there. Not to date either one of us, we'll, we'll I, leave it at I that. think
1: it sounds better. Instead of you saying I was a teacher and you were a student, let's just say we went to school together. Nice. Otherwise, nice. it just makes me sound old.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, it's weird that it was just like 15 years ago, too. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I wasn't your math teacher. That's a, <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah. You you wouldn't want to take responsibility (laughs) for that. But uh, so, I mean, all through school knew each other. And then I started 18 years old in the fire service. You're the fire hall down the road, right? It wasn't regional yet. We're just kind of buddy fire services. We're meeting out on calls and doing things and and going to different things together. And then it regionalizes. And I come back as a full-time job working there. So what was that? The early days of regionalization.
1: So I'm probably one of the few guys left in this entire area that was a member before regionalization and after and like so many other districts around Alberta, probably in Canada, even the States. We were very much of an island out there. It was a little tiny fire station. We had probably maybe 10, 15 members. We had our own fire chief. And when there was a fire, we sort of developed the mentality, okay, that's our fire. Let's try to get at it before Slave Lake gets called out because, you know, they're on our tour for like a tour four thing. Of course. And those, those were ugly days. I was so pleased, just absolutely ecstatic when regionalization started to occur because it suddenly we became members of this big team. And when we started knowing members from the Slave Lake as allies and comrades in the same fight, the enemy was the fire or the vehicle accident. It wasn't each other. That's when barriers and bridges started to come down. And I I tell you, we we have an excellent fire service now, original fire service, but you had to kind of live through both to see. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, you're no longer in the pictures chief. It's an excellent service now.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Two sides of the same yeah. coin.
1: There you go. <laughs> but no, that, that was a good thing for our district. And yeah. it's a huge area. You know.
0: And again, we I mean, we fought those fights together, right? It wasn't all roses and happiness, and uh, it lasted for years to get regionalization. I like now that when you talk to people, and I mean, I, I've only been gone for 18 months, but I still get to go there and meet people that never worked with me, never worked for me. They, they don't even know who I am. And to hear them talk about their fire service and their experience, it's fun. It's it's still going on. You know, where you're from there, Widewater, a was a really small hall built by volunteers in the 70s, I think it mm-hmm. was. Yeah, it was a beautiful little hall. That burned down. They built a big three-bay drive-through, crazy office space, like big, big spot. But it's always been that spot where there's this small, dedicated core of people that get the job done 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You could always count on them. And for me, I just want to say that you're a big part of that. You've been helping drive that. You've been keeping the team together. You use words like us, we right together. Those are important things. And so that's why I was nervous and excited all at the same time to have you on today. Learned a lot from you, right? You're definitely a mentor to me as much as I ever mentored anybody else. I think of you, Ken Skull, if you guys like that, that that took me through the ranks. So thanks for that. Thanks for your service out there still to this day right you're hobbling around on a bad hip for the last few years and you're still out on every call and still doing training and still you know so those kinds of things that kind of dedication level at small halls and talking about regionalization that way i work in my current job with fire halls that are still part of the ego turf time and money wars and it's it's so sad and it's such a waste right but i mean There was a lot of characters in the start of this. There's still people that don't believe in it, that think the old way, the island way was a better way, right? Yeah. And, And that was a big part of it. The new equipment, the sharing of gear, the new
1: trucks, all of that kind of stuff. Okay, so be it. But until that underlying mentality was changed... Only then did we start advancing forward.
0: Yes. You know, if memory serves, I think it was about five years before we kind of really got over that first hump. There's still a few characters left that would, would never get over it. But it took about five years to really get away from that, you know, I, I, I to that we, we, we. Yeah.
1: And also, you also touched on this. With rural halls and small departments, so much has always been the team, the degree of competence and volunteerism you have. For example, you can have a $500,000 truck sitting in a $2 million building out there, but unless you have those six volunteers that are willing to get up at three in the morning on an icy road to fight a structure fire, then nothing happens. And it's always been about those people. And you've said that, I've said that, Ken said that. It's yeah. we, we know that. The fire service is nothing
0: without the people. Absolutely. Volunteer, part-time, full-time, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the people that are willing to do the job. That make the difference, right? You could buy whatever kind of truck you want; we'll make it work. You could buy whatever kind of haul you want and build it; we'll make it work. You can get whatever equipment you want; we'll make it work. But it's always that the people will make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think we've both been super blessed to work with so many great people. The two or three bad weeds aren't even worth talking about. Because there's been so many hundreds yeah. or even thousands of people that we've worked with at these big fires and big yeah. events in and, and our regional fire service that just make it so much better. Yeah, for sure. Right?
1: And, and also very much a, a generational thing. When I first started, roughly about the time, you'd been here a bit sooner, but we looked up to the the leadership in place at that time. And I think of some of the really strong leaders we had, Ken Skull, Captain Bellarive, Captain yeah. Boland, all those characters we learned what we could from them we worked with them when that generation pretty much retired off we became them but then we also then worked with guys that had come up through the ranks with us but now we're seeing the younger guys like your son and people of that generation trying to learn from us that we've learned from argo you know we're just trying to just pass it forward keep going and just keep it going eh?
0: yeah it, it is it's so good you know, I, I learned so much at a young age. Like when I started, I think Captain Belreve, Captain Bowden, Captain Carlton would all be guys, Right get you going, get you through, get you started. And like you say, you could go all day naming names of people yeah. that that helped out. But it is, it's pretty exciting and pretty good. And then today it is different. Let's be honest, we're of a certain generation and we deal with people from another generation <laughs> and it's tough, it's different, it's, it's harder. We've had to adjust, but it's still that team thing, right? I was on Chestermere Fire, their website the other day and I was reading their chief's message and it said, we win together, we lose together, but we do everything together. And so it stuck in my head as a thing that, you know, it's, there's a good marching song as far as the fire service goes, right? And I think that we don't like losing. And certainly you and I have had lots of talks about the Slave Lake fire, the Fort Mac fire, which we'll talk about, and being there and just absolutely getting your butt yeah. kicked. but overcoming that and and finding a way to to move forward and and to get things done and and so i guess i'm thankful for that right and so we're just before this we're talking about all the different calls and (laughs) that's how it goes but i remember one call very tragic because it was a fatality car accident but as part of that as the thing progresses You know, everybody's sad. We've done what we can do, but there's a fatality. And then right in the middle of the whole thing, your voice comes on the radio (laughs) and says, hey, did you just see that bear? And I was like, what what are you talking about, right? So maybe walk (laughs) us through that call a little bit.
1: I remember that call so well. (laughs) And again, it's one of these things where obviously... The call started with a, a tragedy. It was a highway fatality, and we can't ever forget that. But but sometimes with these types of calls, other things happen during the call completely on the left field that come at you. So what happened here, The um, basically we had the highway blocked. Traffic Control set on both sides, stopping you know, the flow as the RCMP were conducting their investigation. And you were actually at the crash site. I was a bit further east down the road at one of the roadblock uh, checkpoints. And suddenly, we, we have a lot of wildlife in this area, but this black bear, for some reason, decided, big one, that he would just walk across the highway in between where you were and where I was, just sauntered across. And so I thought, well, you know, I best at least give Chief a heads up that there's a black bear there. So I, I called you on the radio and mentioned that, and I think you were probably thinking okay, Turnbull, uh, quit quit fooling around here, this is serious. But no, there was a there was a black bear walked across, but I, I knew it was it was kind of funny because I was actually standing with one of the um, regional peace officers, and I knew if the bear came at us, I couldn't outrun the bear, but I knew I could outrun that regional peace officer. So, so you're good spot. I was good, I was good. But then, so then to confound it, so okay, we dealt with that, we kind of kept on the bear and you kind of wander up somewhere up by you. And then, um, no word of a lie, maybe two minutes later, this guy driving a pickup kind of crashed our barrier. And I was thinking, what the heck now? And I was thinking, is this some guy that, you know, we get lots of looky loos out there that want to take, you know, pictures and this stuff. So I went over there to kind of give him peace of my mind. Like, Hey, get, you know, but I realized as we rolled down the window, he was in distress. He was having a heart attack and he drove his vehicle into the barricade to get our attention. And at first I thought, okay, come on, this yeah, is, this, this, can't, is this, this. so then it, but it was, it was legit. So then I had to phone chief a second time on the radio <laughs> with chief, uh, yeah, uh, it was almost like, I almost called a no doff on this They on like it, really, yes. this, yeah, yeah. And they said, we have a fellow here with a cardiac situation and you were able to release an ambulance from your location down to mine and got him in there, got in the ambulance, they did some work on him and got in the hospital. And so his life ended up being, I guess, saved by us being out there that day. Right. And how, how strange
0: is that turn of events? I, I honestly, like, I mean, I guess I'm well known to be doing these exercises all <laughs> the time. And sometimes at weird times, maybe on a weekend or a night or, you know, and doing these elaborate training sessions so that everyone would do it. And I honestly thought that you were just trying to lighten the mood, right? Cause it was a guy everyone knew and it was yeah. a terrible situation. And so the bear thing, and then it turned out to be real. And then for you to come again and say, we're, I was like, it's unlike Bruce to be trying to <laughs> do this right now in the middle of all of this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, then it was real. And it was like, okay. And, and once you know, it's real, you know, your brain just goes to work. Right. Yeah. And so, okay, get an ambulance down there. What oh, else yeah. do you need? And so we're handling all of these things at once. And, yeah. and that was, uh, Man, that was such a, a long, terrible call, but these weird things that happened. And, and, I mean, we could go on all day talking about these things. Luckily, the bear didn't really bother anyone. It was cool, and, and the guy having a heart attack was fine. He lived, and... Yeah, it, it just uh, over and over and over. And so I think like I like to tie that to life, the teamwork part, right? So your teacher, the end, you ended up being the shop teacher, which I think you loved and was a great fit for your your personality and your life and, and all of that stuff. But you mean through that the times you were also a hockey coach, you were, you know, a firefighter, and then you moved up to a captain and right. And so all of these leadership lessons that you could impart on everybody, like my own kids, I know, you played a lot of tricks on me over the years <laughs> with my own kids, going to school there, and uh, with the firefighters. And so let's talk a little bit about school, because you and I got to do some pretty cool things we, at school.
1: We did. I, I tell you, I had the best job in the world as a high school teacher. So I I was the welding and carpentry guy at the shop. But in addition to that, there was a program offered at the school for a number of years. It was called Job Prep, but it was basically a collection of job safety programs geared, uh, so the students got credit for taking that course. And in this area, there was a lot of oil field activity, uh, lumber, forestry, and a lot of our students from here that didn't want to go on to university or college would uh, take careers in, in those areas. And so, this course was kind of set up so that they could come out of high school with a valid first aid certificate, WHMIS, dangerous goods, all that kind of stuff. Now, so, you know, you can only get so far by doing the paperwork part and start losing the kids, but you and I started talking, and we got this fantastic relationship going between the high school here and the fire service here, where you would kind of free up some some members and your equipment and your training center here, and I would bring over I had the easy job. I just applied the students. So, yeah. So we think bring I over. had the easy yeah, job, yeah. baby. <laughs> so we bring over, you know, let's say, so they, they do the 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 paperwork, the all the the book part of say confined space training in the high school classroom, and then once they passed all of that module, we would actually come over to the fire station here for a whole day, and you would run them through, and your your guys, we'd run them through proper ba Donnie doffing, and then they would actually go inside the confined space. Um, tank chamber with smoke top, and all those kids. I tell you, they got so much out of that. You know, and then not just that, they also learned um, how to use a fire extinguisher. Not a picture of one; they actually got to hold one and <laughs> set the thing Straight off on up, real yep. flame, eh? Yeah. And then, of course, we always capped it off. Uh, you, you always made sure they went away fed. And these are high school kids. They eh? <laughs> and they go away. you know, have a big barbecue. It's a and, lot uh, of barbecuing. <laughs> and it always amazed me that uh, we always actually barbecued after the confined space was done because some of those high school boys would eat probably five or six hamburgers. <laughs> and I was thinking, man, that would be a, that'd be a lot of volume if they, if that came up inside their mask you <laughs> know, a, before, before well, the that was the rule, day. right? But
0: yeah. Yeah. Never eat more than will fit in your mask. <laughs> but you
1: know, another thing that came out of that was we've typically, we, we've done very well in this region with recruitment of firefighters for the most part, it's getting a little tougher and tougher all the time now, but for a while there, we basically were training recruits and a lot of those students that went through that program if they stayed around this area you know they, they get a job oil field or meals whatever they would also become firefighters for sure and for a while we had that fantastic basically like a farm team
0: well honestly out like of the school name name program name's great andrew mckay curtis yeah. Platsky, both yeah. over in red deer yeah. now yeah. um brian logan they're yeah. still in here yeah. freddie See, and a lot from here have gone
1: on to professional firefighting for sure. areas wherever.
0: Yeah. 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 And we just had some of the greatest. Uh, I was thinking about Zoe Pearson from from Widewater the other night, who was a high school kid there, worked in Widewater, also uh, did some firefighting for us in Slave Lake. And, you know, like just all of these high school kids that came through that yeah. just, I mean, they were great, right?
1: Yeah. Actually, it did. Honestly, Chief, now that you're no longer Chief, just kind of <laughs> active, whatever, I, I have to bring up that... There was a little bit of an issue for a while. We would get these wonderfully trained recruits, all trained up at Hall 2 Widewater, just get them to like almost professional firefighter status, and then you would poach them. To be a Hall 1 member. So
0: that's and when, when you're that the farm team, buddy. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I could say there the same go. thing to Ken Block in Edmonton. Yeah. He kept stealing all our best firefighters, there, too. There you go. And I would always tell him I'm going to start charging him a fee for training up all these firefighters. <laughs> I think their last recruit class, when I was still the chief, took four firefighters mm-hmm. from our fire service. So, But, I mean, again, good thing, right? You're happy it's, to get them, train them. Absolutely.
1: And, and such a win-win for the community, for yeah. the kids, the students, for us, everything. Right.
0: Right. And, and I mean... I sent firefighters to you for that exact reason, right? My own son, Braden Vingy, when he was around, you know, he sent those guys out there in the wintertime to continue the junior fire program and look at where they are now, right? So you definitely train some leaders. Your team out there always does a good job, still doing a good job, right? And so always happy about that. The job prep class was, I mean, I don't know why every firefighter out there doesn't want to be, working with the kids. yeah, The kids keep you young, they keep you interested, right? And I think that the impact that we have at the schools is huge too, right? It's different than being a teacher, yeah. it's different. I can remember some of the rowdy days where I'd just say like, I, I don't get paid to be here, I'll just leave, you guys don't wanna do this. Right, and it's something that a teacher can't say. Yeah. Right, and uh, but we were able to get them calmed down and get them going. You were able to use the ability to go have a big barbecue at the fire (laughs) hall, you know, to keep them coming and motivated. I mean, you pulled some kids through that program that didn't even come to school. They would only come for job prep. The rest of the day, they'd skip or stay home. So I'll always thank you for that and being able to be involved in that and help grow that program. It's something I'll be proud of till the day I die. Right. And so I think, um, thank you for sharing that story because I think other fire departments need to, they forget why we're here sometimes, right? And working with those kids and keeping them coming up into that program, especially the volunteer yeah. departments, where are you going to get people from, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. So uh, get them early. Cruz McGregor, the young high school kid that's just finished up at the fire hall now, you know, another success story, just came in there, did a great job, going to be a firefighter off and on for his whole life. So uh great stuff. But you
1: know, one more, just a final comment on this. In addition to that, the training and the, the working with the students in that regard, we also, over the years, set up a few fantastic mock scenarios. If you recall some of these, as a matter of fact, I think it's not so so fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the students were just so eager to help out here. In that, so after they say they finished their first aid units, we would set up some kind of a scenario and they would come over, and then your daughter, as a makeup artist at that time, that's right, would kind of get them all guzzied up. Some guy would have a big neck wound or a gushing artery spurting, some guy'd have burns or frostbite, and who can forget the ultimate mock disaster we set up. It was supposed to be planned for, what, a nice warm day in February. And it was nice weather, nice weather. And I I guess the scenario was basically uh, we simulated a collapsed structure, yeah, and so there was a sea can that you'd kind of hauled out there, and you, you spent probably a week with your guys. Uh, we filled it with snow and two by fours to simulate like the yeah. avalanche. Well, in that winter, searching. we had to
0: steal the snow from the arena. That's we right, you couldn't We've even get snow. Our snow, own snow. That's <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so anyway, but that also turned out to be a, a huge endeavor for this region because it involved the fire service, the RCMP, ATCO, power, the town of Slave Lake, the MD, all the services around were involved in the rescue and and the the, the mock disaster of of this day. But then we're laughing now. But of course, what happened? You know, the best laid plans, you'll know, fall asunder. So the day of, all the kids got to school early that morning, like five o'clock. So they had to get their makeup and gear on. But the night before, the temperature just dropped. Okay, it dropped to like it was minus side twenty with It was wind. not fun. <laughs> and we had, we had a discussion. Okay, do we go ahead with this mock disaster or not? And of course, we had too many people involved to cancel. So, okay, let's go with it. We'll just kind of make sure we keep the kids warm. And they, anyway, so they so we we planted them in all these places inside, the, you know, the buried in the snow and vehicles buried there in the sea can. And then um, as the rescue crews came in, one by one, the students were rescued. They had a fantastic time. Although there was one young lady, I do recall, actually she was, her fake mock condition was supposed to be hypothermia. But we only later realized she was playing her part so well that she was laying in the snow for so long. She was actually suffering from real hypothermia. Right. And talk about.
0: So we had to call a no-duff. We had duff to call no-duff, yeah. Go to the hospital. And then yeah. all the way through, like the ambulance people, hey, this is no-duff. The hospital, this is no-duff. Call Calling yes. the school principal, yeah. remember her, and, and said, this is no-duff because um, we had, and luckily we had a no-duff. Yeah, rule and everybody knew what we were talking about but uh, she was fine she it was it, all it was good yeah, minor she
1: survived she, she, yeah in case there's any losses yeah. out there. and
0: her parents were still excited <laughs> yeah. that she was part of it and <laughs> but, so but, it, that was tough <laughs> but,
1: but it was funny at one point the paramedic that was treating her early on in there said man you must have a good teacher because you are mimicking the <laughs> hypothermic the shivering the, so well. Wow, that's amazing and uh Okay, I can't take credit for <laughs> That's right. It. Yeah,
0: it's too much. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, that was uh, that was a big one. Yeah, it was like 440 people it, and it a was a two-day event. And yeah, exactly. that was a big, big... We, we got to do a lot of those. It was yeah. fun. Yeah, okay. So let's jump back to the Slave Lake fire. I think it wouldn't be the same to have you here and not get some more of your stories. So thanks for sharing the fire department one and uh, that kind of stuff. But let's talk about some more. So you were talking earlier about dispatch during... Spatch.
1: So yeah, and um, you know when you think back on these calls, like quite often when you're there, there's so much going on and so many people involved. But I I think a lot of times the the peripheral actors don't really get the credit they deserve. And so we're talking about you know the firefighters and this, but we have an amazing dispatch service at the Grand Prairie, and I recall this so well I can almost hear her words. So. As Slave Lake was burning, especially the first quadrant of Slave Lake, the southeast, that was typically where a lot of the newer homes were. And a lot of those homes were built with um, alarm systems and whatnot installed, like, you know, as part of the building. And so as the fire, when it came across the highway and started hitting those homes, they were burning. A lot of the alarms were going off. I think the alarm system was being activated at Calgary or somewhere, but the uh, message was being sent back to Grand Prairie Dispatch, that you know 103 9th street southeast is in so far so she would relay the information to us but there were so many alarms going off that she was saying okay now 104 south street is burning now 108 house okay and you could tell her voice was quivering and she was very emotional because she knew better than probably most people what was actually going on which which
0: we're not used to because dispatch is always the voice of calm and calm and reason Yeah. yeah
1: and um, anyway so it came to the point she was calling in addresses that she was receiving information on and we realized not only was that house already burned up that whole block was already gone anyway at one point and i remember this so clearly she she came on after announcing a bunch she said chief coots do you want me to continue okay and her voice was crackling and we were all just kind of and, and then and you made some comment that no, we, we got the picture. Something to that effect. Yeah. The camera, what we, you said. We know what's going on. We know yeah. what's going on. Yeah, we got this. Then it was kind of a bit of a pause. It was kind of like a, wow. You no, know? yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. We know something else too. And this is not Dispatch, but um, so many other characters in this in this play. Your wife, Kirsten. And again, hardly, I don't think he ever gets the credit for, for what, what she was doing that night. She was in the fire hall, operating phones and all kinds of stuff in there. And I recall we were out in the front lines and one of the firefighters we weren't supposed to be on the radio too much other than obviously emergency stuff getting the trucks here but this one firefighter he was just he was a firefighter fairly new He'd only been there maybe a year or two he got on the radio and you could tell he was you know really emotional upset And he goes kirsten have you heard about if our families got out like you know because we knew where we were we were in the fire trucks we had hoses and that kind of stuff but yeah and then kirsten Got on the radio she says, you know what? I'll I'll check. So probably, I know, 15, 20 minutes later, she got back on the radio and she said, I've gone through the list. I was able to track down or contact all of the families of the guys on your three trucks. They're all good. They're all either evacuated on the way out or they're safe. And that suddenly, talk about... Really? Throwing a, a boy to the guy driving sure. in the ocean, eh? And th- those types of stories, there's so much of that stuff goes on besides the, the flame and the fire. I, you know?
0: And it's so true. Like, you know, when we're talking to fire departments now, we talk about having a family safety plan. And, you know, how you can't just go out and do the job that we do unless you know your own family is yes. taken care of. And so in these big disasters, big storms, big, you know, you got to know that your family's safe. Our job is to go save whoever needs saving but you have to know that your own family is safe. And so I can remember on the radio saying, you know, if you have to leave the line, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes and go find your family or yeah. then do it, right? This is this is the time to do it because you're not gonna be effective worrying about your own family. A few guys had to, others, Kirsten found found where they were and took care of it. And then in subsequent disasters, which this is a disaster prone region, so we just keep that, that going. But now that's all tracked. Where's right. their family? Where are they gonna go? Where's the meeting place? We even, when we got the new fire hall said, we're getting one this size with this much landscape. So that our families can come here and, and be safe while we go and do our jobs. And so, you know, for everyone listening, that's a key. Make sure you have a plan for what you're going to do with all of the families. right?
1: And also adding on to that, when these disasters happen, and they'll keep on happening, but whatever it is, if you can take what the event was and then learn from it. And then keep building, keep learning and pass that information on. You know, we've been pretty good at that but yeah disasters
0: well, for us to learn that yeah sadly we've been to a lot so so we could talk about slave lake all day all the things we saw and did uh, together but uh, let's talk a little bit about fort mac so i want to start with your trip up to fort mac i remember there's a visa experience yes. you might want to talk thank, about
1: thank you very much <laughs> uh current mayor tyler warman <laughs> of slave lake <laughs> so what happened was the, the Fort McMurray fire broke out. There was an initial crew from here, and I believe you were on that crew at first yeah. that went up in the morning early. Yeah. And then throughout the day, more resources were sent from Slave Lake to help. So before my truck and my crew went, Tyler went with a truck. Now he had got part way up. There's some little town up there. Can't remember what it was, but he stopped there. Wandering was, River. Wandering yeah. River. <laughs> it was just it was just kind of madness because there's all kinds of evacuees coming out of. Fort McMurray trying to get some fuel the results and the only traffic going up to Fort Mac were fire trucks but anyway Tyler and his crew were in one of the fire trucks they'd stopped there and they fueled up and there's a, it takes a lot of fuel to put in the fire oh, truck. okay yeah. eh?
0: well anyway, and we told them to bring extra so yeah it was- <laughs> that's
1: right so we so anyway he gets here but something happened where either it was just really busy the system somehow it worked out that he couldn't pay for the fuel in that fire truck with the visa the whatever it was but he said don't worry there's another fire truck coming pretty soon and if we if you trust us we'll just kind of put it all on one bill so the next fire truck that was being sent up was my my pumper with a with ronnie lucas and some other guys we get there and we fuel up our truck with you know diesel and then we go into pay and the guy was oh yeah let's just leverage your fire you owe us like 680 bucks <laughs> and now uh, we didn't have any other credit cards other than our personal cards yeah, at that point course. and we're yeah. thinking okay is this, now, is this possibly a case of gas gouging price? Like, what, what is going on? We didn't, we had no idea. Yeah. And then the guy was trying to explain to us, the former, like a fire truck before us. It, anyway, he got his story a little messed up. And and finally, we just had to go. So we just paid it. Okay? Yeah. We paid it. We kind of worked out later on. And so anyway, it all got settled in the wash. But I mean, that's just it's one of those things that happened. It, right?
0: Well, it's the other side of that story. Because that truck, of course, got there before you guys. And so Tyler walks in and he's got two boxes of groceries. Like, they've grabbed every bag of chips m&ms you know pepperoni and, and cheese that they could get and so we're loving it because we're starving like on every deployment and then you get there and you're just like hey what, what's going on i just had to pay this huge bill right and we're
1: like oh. but but what i didn't tell you Was it being used my own credit card? I got good air miles for that, eh? There you go. So I got 18,000 air miles for nothing.
0: Another one that uh, I think we talked about with Patrick that I loved is uh, he was using his credit card to get us the vending machine at the hospital in Fort Mac. And and so his wife actually texted him and said, hey, there's like all these $5 charges on our credit card. (laughs) He's like, no, you think that's a lot. Watch this. (laughs) (laughs) We, We empty this whole Thing. luckily it was one that took a credit card and we i think we put like 150 bucks worth of charges trying to get food out of this yeah. uh vending machine rather than smashing out the window but
1: but but you know how it is eh? when the when the chips are down in this business you have to do whatever it takes to make it work and you kind of work it out out later i remember during the 2008 fire here boy we've had a lot of fires we've haven't? had a lot of fires but the 2008 fire there was actually a camp out by um the Creek Creek yeah. there yeah. and they were kind closed but we we'd been up fighting all night there was no food anywhere and so we kind of limped in there and we kind of knocked and we knocked on the door and we asked the lady if there's any way we can get some sandwiches or something for our crew because you know there was there was we were starving and and um, you know demoralized and everything else and and she was so gracious hey she opened up the thing she opened up the fridge she goes guys don't even worry about it. take whatever you need and she was just scooping sandwiches in here take some more take some juice yeah. take some uh, yeah. it had yeah. to be a thousand dollars worth of food that they just kind of Donated to the cause oh, to course. help yeah. In, yeah. and no
0: questions asking. Amazing. That was a Neralta camp. So, of course, Lance, the owner then, right, from this location. I I guarantee she didn't get in trouble, right? It's just the way that they operated. Yeah, for sure. Um, But so nice to go to those things, right? In High River was the same thing during the floods, right? You go to the camp, you could get anything, anytime, and people taking care of you. Yeah. So, back to Fort Mac, uh, because I remember there was a specific point. You and I were together. We were up in uh, Woodland Estates, and there's these trailer fires, and we're running a hose trying to separate fire from houses and we actually just took it was the weirdest moment but you and i actually took a few minutes and took some pictures yeah that never really turned out they're all blurry (laughs) and nighttime crazy pictures of like because no one will ever believe that we're here again right 2011 we did lots of firefighting together now we're up in fort mcmurray standing there together and that we took a couple minutes out to take some pictures always stuck in my head as like those crazy conversations we had about how is this happening again? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so for me, Fort McMurray was different because it wasn't our homes and our friends and our, right. It was, you know, it's someone else's town. You're still doing a good job. You're still, but we'd learned so much from 2011 about how to separate, Yes. you know, your personal thoughts on it from the firefighting. So, yeah. so I just want to.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. But you know, another thing about with Fort McMurray, this always stuck with me is that in 2011 with the Slave Lake fire, there were trucks from every town that seemed here helping us out, okay, because they they came. They, some were able to send two firefighters in a truck, some were able to send a fleet, it didn't matter, they were here. When we were fighting Fort McMurray. and again, it was the bizarre thing about three o'clock in the morning, we'd be looking around doing something other, like and we'd look over and say, hey, that truck is from say, Bonnieville. I re, you don't remember the names of some of the firefighters, but I remember those same faces. Yep. And we, we went over and talked, we're sharing a hydrant. We go, how bizarre is this? You guys, we, you were helping us in Slave Lake only a couple of years ago, here we are again doing this. And then we look down the road and there's a Westlock truck with actually a firefighter from Slave Lake who had now gone to Westlock yep. down there. And just all night long, we run into friends, you know, family, exactly, honestly. Yep. taking a moment, not long conversations because we're pretty busy, but still, it's it just that, that family. Yeah, of of network,
0: and I'll never forget that. Oh, it was. Yeah, I mean, all those houses for going down, right? We had Chad, the big guy there from Fort Mac, <laughs> that uh, our own personal Fort Mac firefighter bodyguard. Yeah, but yeah, running into all of those people and and all of those things, and and you had talked earlier about how we look at the houses. Yes, right, and uh, so I'll let you kind of talk about that. So again, back
1: to the 2011 the Slave Lake fire, we were getting our butts kicked big time because we were used to fighting a structure fire you know the one house on fire one room in one house on fire but suddenly we're in a situation where we've only got what resources we have here and why we're in town like you know three or four trucks whatever and we've got 30 40 100 houses on fire but early on we took the same mentality okay we've got a house but it was more than just a house because to us, that house, okay, that was my friend's house. I had a barbecue there last week. Next house beside, oh, yeah, that's Blaine's house. I helped him shingle his house. These were more than just homes, houses. we They were our friends. They were families, our town, our community members' houses. And so we tried so hard to save what we could. And we just, we might save a quarter of this house, but then we lost the whole block. And it was only after block after block. And remember, this was no ordinary fire, this was a blast furnace with those winds. There was chunks of fire from the forest, big chunks of birch, probably 200 feet in the air, flying way above us, hitting structures three or four blocks away, like it was that kind of fire. And it was only when, after we we fought so hard for the first while, some reassessing, and again, you called us in, and we had a, you know, a group meeting saying, look, we have to think about this different, because it's a different kind of fire. We can't think of these as being our buddies' homes, our Slave Lake homes, our family's homes anymore. We have to consider these, this is fuel. Okay? Separate the emotion from it. It is fuel. And unless we do what we have to do, we're going to lose everything. It was only then that we started getting ahead of that thing. And we were able to kind of steer it in the right direction. So we may have to let the rest of that block burn, but we could save four more, you know, in that regard. That's so we took, that was a tough, tough, tough lesson. And for the longest time, we didn't even really want to even admit to ourselves. So that's kind of what we were doing, but we had to do it. We took that lesson and we passed that information on to the firefighters in Fort memory as they were working in, because we could say the same thing. They weren't losing houses. They were losing blocks. City blocks were going up, and they started the same thing getting heavy equipment and starting to, to remove that fuel. And only then was progress start to be made. Yeah. So, tough, tough lesson, hard learned, but
0: wow. Yeah, you know, I remember some of that. And, and I always like to jump back to 2003 when Lou Wilde wrote an article. He was a Kelowna fire deputy fire chief when the 2003 fire hit Kelowna, and he talked about having to decide which side of the street. You save and, you know, those big decisions and that's kind of what got us there in Slave Lake and then certainly the message we passed along in Fort McMurray and other places as we moved along, right? You, you're you going to lose, so do you want to lose small or lose big yeah. and what does that mean, Yeah, right? So you got a birch tree and a spruce tree and a pine tree and a house tree. And they're all these kinds of trees that you got to separate and win. Super hard for regular people to hear. But for firefighters, you got to get in that mindset where, you know, the strategies and tactics that we're used to aren't going to work in 127-kilometer-hour winds with the most embers raining down that we'd ever seen in our entire lives that are still in the top record books of recorded history. So, yeah, for sure it was tough, right?
1: Back to Slave Lake Fire again just for a moment. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. So I always... I always remember this as being this way and it's kind of a bizarre thing. I'm probably the only guy that thinks of this, but when the fire was approaching Slave Lake, we had a bunch of trucks and talk about the ego firefighters. We had our fire engines staged on highway 88 between the fire that was coming and the town. And there was a big kind of a big green zone there. And we had some pumps in the, in the Creek and we're thinking, okay, when this thing comes, it'll come up the edge We'll stop it like a big grass fire. You know, kind of what it is, eh? And then uh, the town's all good. You know, we're, we're okay there. And I was absolutely amazed when hundreds and hundreds of feet before I even got close to where we were, it had reached over top of the trucks, over top of the highway, and landed in town. And we basically kind of went. We looked over, we looked up, we looked down, and there it is already crossed. Yeah. And it reminded me there was a movie that I, I kind of liked back then. It was an adventure movie, The Mummy. I never ever saw it, either. Oh, yeah. but there was a, a scene in there where there's a big giant sandstorm coming. But the sandstorm with the movie, you know, animation, they kind of made the sand look like a big face, you know, big, yeah, big living monster creature, coming. monster yeah, Kate. yeah, That to me is what that slave lake fire was. It was like this enormous living beast. It just reached his big old ugly hand right over top of us. And it was in
0: town. Yeah.
1: And it, that's just, it struck with me. That that's what that thing was. Yeah, there,
0: there's no way to explain to people what happened that day. Right. You could try and try. I've been yeah. talking about it across the country, but to be there and to live it, even the videos don't do it justice. Right. It's uh, yeah. We lived through some crazy crazy times. A lot of them, like you talked about 2008, but go back farther, 1998, 2000, 2001, 2000, almost every year, right? And if it wasn't in between, we'd be able to say, remember the flood of... I remember. And again, don't want to talk a little more stories here, but it had to be about
1: 1998, somewhere around there. You were a firefighter then. And I remember your voice. You were in um, old unit for the old international... Anyway, you were in there And I heard your voice in the radio because we were out on the highway with a wide-wire truck. But I heard you and you were with Captain Boland, I believe, and someone else. And you were quite concerned. You were by the mill. And you were worried because the fire was so hot and so intense as it was coming towards somewhere that the pavement was getting soft. And you were, your truck was making ruts in the pavement because of the heat. And you were worried about getting that truck stuck in the road, in the hot pavement, getting out of there. And we were thinking to ourselves, oh my God, like what are they into there?
0: You know, it's just one of those things that's I'll kind of stuck with be. me yeah
1: yeah but you know i guess you got the truck out fine so that was good but
0: yeah well it was uh yeah i can actually remember from that one there was this one little fire that was in a tree down off the highway and every time we drove by right lasted for nine days this fire so it was big and every time we drove by this one cop would be stopped and he'd be down there he had a shovel and water bottles and he's putting out this one stump and we'd stop and we say like this whole great big forest fire and you, you kind of got he's like we can all only do what we can do and this is my stump like i've put this thing out 30 times i'm not stopping until it's out he's covered in black soot and <laughs> and he's you know and uh but that was just his little mini war right? this is the
1: mountain i will die on <laughs> <That's the one.
0: laughs> and so we give him a wajax pack and said you know this will help at least you know fill it up with the creek and and do your thing and yeah we, we get it, right? Like, go at it, buddy. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a million little stories, a million little war stories. Um, I always like to to think of Slave Lake as you had one of the toughest jobs on planet Earth during that fire, because you were the captain that was running a crew that had my 15-year-old son in it. Yeah. So thanks for taking him. But you also had the pressure of the fire and, and the chief bearing down on you all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I often wonder... When I wouldn't say seasoned veterans, but when there was firefighters who had had a lot of experience, were out on those calls. Okay, we'd already seen a fair bit, and okay, you know, the disasters it is. But then I often wonder now what guys like Ryan talk about the ultimate adventure. How exciting and how eye-opening to the world that would be for those guys at the
0: end of it. So many of those young people that were with at both Slave Lake. 2008 to, you know, all of those things. Yeah. I remember Paul Clark and Mark Fietzma as two on the slave light fire that first night. You know, I think they'd been with us for two weeks. Yeah. You know, some of the guys were like, oh, those guys are lazy. Look at them. They're just sitting around. Every time I turn around, they're sitting around. I said, they're not sitting around. They're, they're mesmerized by everything yeah. that's going yeah, they, on. They, 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 they don't, don't know, know what, what to do mean. next. They only been here two weeks right there. That's back in the days when you got a pager and yeah. didn't even know what you're doing yet. Right. So yeah, it, it must've been life changing for all of them. Okay, I'm gonna jump ahead. This is could just go on and on forever, right? So you retire from school, but you stay on the fire department. And because you have more time now, guess what all your friends do? We call you and say, Hey, can you help us build a double stack training center in Slave Lake? Can you help us at the training center? And you jump to the to the job like you always do, right? And so I just wanted to ask you, I've come to you with hundreds of crazy ideas over the years. The the burning prop, the house burning prop, the double stack training center. You gotta tell me. Now that I'm not your boss anymore, what was that like to have me constantly coming to you with these crazy I, ideas?
1: I have I have to admit, there, there was a few times where I know you well enough that I could see your vision. And it was so funny because quite often your vision would be something like just a little tiny stick man sketch on the back of a piece of you know paper there. You say, Can you build this? But then when you look at it and I start to when I see where you're coming from and understand what what kind of is you want there, then it becomes a challenge to well. He's really testing me this time, is he? Let's let's see if we can build it. And then, like, there's been so many times where um, I, I have so thoroughly enjoyed those types of projects. Yeah. And and remember when I say I, it was never I. There was, course, always, yeah. there was always. always every firefighter that ton would of ever help down with us. <laughs> oh, <laughs> exactly. But you know, for for example, you get kind of creative on the radio. I, I remember I was building one thing one time where I had I built all the walls in the ground for one of your, your structures. But they were too heavy for me to lift. And so I got on the radio and I paged out for a lift assist for a crew of firefighters, <laughs> you know. It, yeah. And so they come to this lift assist, you know, typically that's lifting a patient on a yep, stretcher. Yep. But they get there and look and hear, oh, it's lifting up four walls holding <laughs> the place while we nail it together, eh? But those funny things. <laughs> oh, end, of course, and, people uh, love it. And uh, yeah, but you know, a lot of those little ideas that you had, and again, I'm putting lots of credit on you for those, that vision, that became what is now... We had three training centers, basically that small one behind the fire hall. And then it led to that larger training center across the highway. And now we have this amazing local training center right here. And, and those are, those are all ideas that came off that little.
0: Well, so note we could do a whole podcast a, just on the training yes, center work that, that we did and the things that we thought of. And so, all right, folks, you heard him. He said, that's down the road. He'll be back. Bruce <laughs> Turnwell. Thanks for being here. Uh, episode 10, Growing Up Fire. We'll talk again soon thanks chief thanks for listening to growing up fire today follow me on instagram at chief coots to comment or send questions we appreciate your support